Welcome to You Might Relate, a podcast where we take relationships and mental health to the next level. I am Stacy Heaps, a licensed clinical social worker, and I have been practicing therapy for the last 15 years. There are counseling concepts and stories that I am excited to share. When we know better, we do better. Together, let's get to a place of radical acceptance of where we are while improving relationships and tackling life's transitions, one therapy concept and one story at a time. So let's get started to see if you relate. Welcome to You Might Relate. This is episode number three. Kara Olson, a 34-year-old single mom, some college behind her, newly divorced. What does she do? She's feeling overwhelmed and uncertain about her future. Despite her life not ending up the way she thought it would, Kara took her circumstances and found a way to thrive despite setbacks. Today, Kara is married to Taylor Olson, dedicating her time to being a mom to three kids. She is passionate about living life to the fullest. She volunteers and is always looking for fun and travel and experiencing as much as she can, including but not limited to many, many, many concerts. You are going to love Kara. Thanks for listening. Welcome to You Might Relate. This is Stacy Heaps and Kara Olson. Welcome, Kara. <laughs> Thank you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I am Kara, as Stacey mentioned, and I am a mother to three amazing children. I grew up in Taylorsville. That's how I met Stacy. friends with her little brother, met Stacy through him. And then Stacy and I ended up working together for a company where we worked with people with disabilities, and she was my boss. <laughs> yes. It's called TKJ Inc. If you ever want your kids to have a really good job and experience taking care of people with disabilities, yes. that's an amazing job. Incredible sure. experience for sure. Gave me so much real life experience and exposure as a teenager into adulthood. You know, yes. I have to be responsible and learn how to menu plan, grocery shop, organize, do all the things. It was an incredible experience. And Stacy was the best boss. I would look at the schedules if we worked at the same time. I was like so excited. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was really good. It was really fun. You just have this energy about you that's infectious. Oh. You can't help but be high energy around you and be happy. I feel the same about you. And yes, we would always giggle. A lot of giggling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're going to laugh a lot here. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it might be a heavy topic, we're still going to laugh. Yeah. Indeed. That's how I get through it all. <laughs> so then you got married. I was 18. I worked for TKJ, gosh, until I was 22, 23, I think. I got married. I was born and raised LDS, had an amazing family, the baby of three kids. I grew up, oh yeah, like I said, in Taylorsville, I had a great childhood. And I just did very much the like standard Mormon protocol. You know, I dated, went to college, but I even remember in college, it felt like I was playing the part. Like I didn't really feel like I needed to go to college because I was like, I'm going to get married. Why did Where did you go to college? <laughs> I went to Slick. Okay. Now, I feel like we had conversations about this. Probably, yeah. I remember in high school when people would ask me what I wanted to do or when I was younger, what I wanted to be when I grew up. I like genuinely thought it was just this facade that we put on. I just thought it was for show. It was this fun little game we played. And I'm like, oh, I want to be. And I would just say something, but I was like, well, we all know I'm going to be a mom. 
I didn't understand why we would jump through the hoops. <laughs> I guess we go to college. Yeah. So I was like, oh, well, college is a great place to meet a man. <laughs> yeah. It said that bar real high. <laughs> hey, that was not that there's great. anything wrong with it. I love, I love Slick. It is a great school. So I went to Slick, got married, got pregnant pretty quick after being married. Gosh, I think a year after being married, I got pregnant. So two years into the marriage, had our first baby. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then three years later, had our second. I had some complications through being pregnant and after pregnancy and stuff. I had some big health issues that my doctor, after I had my first one, the doctor told me not to get pregnant again. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. That's so scary. I know. It's crazy. But then, you know, at the time after having my first, I was like, oh, it's fine. And I got pregnant again. And it was really, really hard pregnancy in and out of the hospital, in and out of doctor's offices. I had to give myself three shots a day. And I was going to doctor's appointments probably three to four times a week. And it's sometimes more. And it was it was gnarly. And I had a two-year-old the whole time doing all of that. So that was really hard. So after a second, I knew that I wasn't going to have any more children. And we had talked about adoption. So, so that's a club yeah. to talk about. Yeah, we're not going to talk about that one today, but yeah, you adopted. Yeah. Oh, it was so hard. We had two felt placements. We were going through LDS Family Services at the time. It was still a thing. But then we pulled out of LDS Family Services and ended up going with a private adoption agency. So we were doing the adoption agent or LDS Family Services for like two years, I want to say. And then, and it was through Elias that you had those two felt twin felds. Okay. And then pulled out and we went with a private agency and got our baby, baby in arms in like three weeks. Oh <laughs> my word. That's the best. And didn't you guys go to Texas? Yeah, we went to Texas okay. to pick them up. So it was like scramble, make a book for this birth mom. They were sending me information about babies and birth moms. And then you would send a book about yourself. As I know you're familiar with the yeah. adoption agency stuff, mm-hmm. but I would send a book in and the birth mom would look at it and then pick after looking through a lot of books. And so we sent that on the 4th of July, found out she picked us on the 9th of July and then on the 21st of July he was born. And I was in the room, first person to hold him. Wow. It was amazing. Yeah. Cutest, cutest little caboose. Okay. So that was how many years ago now? So he's almost eight, so almost eight years ago. Yeah. Okay, so you have three kids now. You're married. You're living, I think, in... Where are you living? I'm in Harriman. That's right. Okay. Yeah. I'm in Harriman. Just had the best life. Everything was amazing. <laughs> in fact, I remember talking to a friend days before things fell apart that I was saying, my life is pretty dang perfect. Oh, As my I was God. the words out of my mouth. And then should I jump into this? Now? Yeah, let's jump into it. So the club that we're talking about is Divorce. <laughs> is it divorcee or divorcee? I don't know, either or. So due to circumstances out of my control, things fell apart there and unraveled very quickly and very much like just getting the rug pulled out from underneath you. I remember in the thick of everything, the phrase that I always just felt, like it felt so real, like I felt like I was drowning. And I remember constantly saying that, but being like, that's really how I feel. Like I felt like I was thrown into this choppy water and everyone was expecting me to be swimming this like triathlon. And I was like, yo, I'm like dying now. I can barely keep my nose and mouth out of the water, let alone like on top of the surface and swimming forward. (laughs) Okay. So what were the things 
that were happening that made that so you felt like you were doggy path? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's really hard to, gosh, there's so many things. So this idea that I knew what my life was going to look like and how it was going to play out and then to have that completely taken away was very debilitating to me. It caused so much anxiety of the unknown. The unknown was so heavy. And then suddenly just recognizing all of my No, I don't want to say flaws, but my weaknesses, I suppose you could say, where my partner at that time was taking care of those things. So it was things that I hadn't really known how to take care of or do. I'd been a stay-at-home mom for 14 years, and I had never had like a real office job. Like my jobs as a teenager was I was a lifeguard, and then I worked at TKJ. Oh, my God. Which prepared you for motherhood. It did prepare me for motherhood, very much so. And I loved my time there. But the only other, like, somewhat job I had was more of a hobby, and I taught dance. And it was something that I wanted to do for myself and to get out of the home and to just contribute a little. But I herniated some discs in my back and had to stop teaching a year before my divorce. So, anyways, teaching dance wasn't really in the mix for me anymore at that point. I didn't realize that that was why you stopped. Yeah. I was feeling a little old and like, oh, they need, I'm a little outdated at this point. (laughs) You probably can't see, Kara, but there is nothing in here that says she can still pass for a high schooler. Or she can pass for something. Like, she can go either way. You are so beautiful. Oh, you're nice to me. Thank you. But yeah, so I was suddenly like, okay, how am I going to have a job and take care of these three children? My youngest at the time was three. So it was like, okay, looking for jobs, but also something that makes more money than how much daycare costs. Right. So this is just a practical question. I've always kind of thought that like when you get divorced, the husband has to pay some alimony child support so that maybe won't have to work. So it is true that they have to pay alimony and child support depending on the case. It varies based on their income and it varies on a lot of things. But in my particular situation that I did, I did get alimony and child support, but you're suddenly doubling everything. So you suddenly have two houses that need to get paid, two grocery bills, two, all of the things. And so for me, I knew that I couldn't live on just expecting that. And I'm just somebody that wants to take care of myself too, you know, and my children. And you just feel this strong need to take care of them. My ex-husband at the time, he ended up losing his job as well in the middle. Oh, he yeah. did? Yeah. So it was hard. It was so hard. I mean, we had all of these huge transitions and huge things that are just so hard to deal with. A divorce, having to move out of the house, him losing his job, all of these things. It was a lot. Yeah, I'm like getting ahead of myself here. But oh, what else made me feel like I was drowning? Honestly, I was 20 when I got married and I was just used to constantly having somebody with me. You know, there was never really a time that I was fully alone. And I actually remember, I think I Instagrammed it. So it's on my Instagram. And it was like a month before I found out that we would be getting a divorce. And I had gone to the grocery store. It was like 9 p.m. on a summer evening. And I was like, I'm alone. And it was this huge moment for me that I was doing something completely alone and it felt so good. I went to the grocery store and it's a good example of how little I was ever really alone because it's like if husband's off at work, I have the kids. 
if the kids were off doing something, I was on a date with my husband or with girlfriends. So it was never truly individually alone. Well, and don't you think that you are naturally an, an extrovert? Yes. Like you, yes. you derive energy from being around yes. people. Like maybe for some people being alone as they welcome that, you probably also didn't look for opportunities to be alone yes. because you're such an extrovert. Yes. But when you're all alone in the grocery store this one time, was it a good feeling? Yeah, it was exhilarating and I loved it. So it is true that I am an extrovert, but I also am fine to do things by myself and be alone. But there's a difference in leaving a situation, like putting a pin in it and being like, I'll be right back. Like somebody's waiting for you. You're taking a break. There's a difference between that and having somebody waiting for you and actually being alone. Yeah. So it was like suddenly I didn't have a partner. I didn't have somebody with me at all times. And I was actually alone. Wow. And it was something that I never felt. I lived in my parents' house, got married and lived with my spouse. So it was like this new feeling that most people go through when they go to college and live <laughs> on. Okay, experience this and grow and learn how to be okay with themselves. I didn't. And here I was as a 34-year-old woman. I don't know how to be alone. I went into therapy and it was something that we really had to work on. And he would give me homework. He was like, okay, your homework for this week is to take a book and to go take yourself to dinner all by yourself. And oh, I, love, I love that. And be okay being alone. And don't be on your phone. You can read your book or you can just be alone and be okay being alone and sit there and people watch. So I did, I would do that once a week and I would just, instead of calling a friend and there were times when I'd be like going on my like date by myself and I'd call my sister and I'd be like, hurry and meet me. (laughs) (laughs) And luckily this one time specifically that I'm thinking of, she wasn't able to come and I did. I went to the farmer's market and I went all by myself and I sat on the grass, got some food. And was able to just sit there. And now I do it all the time. Okay. But it was something that I had to work for. And I still make it a point to ensure that I go do these things by myself so that I never get back to a place of like, can't be alone. What was hard about being alone? Was it just that you were out of practice or did you, because some people I think have a hard time being alone because they don't like themselves. Yeah. I don't feel like that was you. You, no. you liked yourself. Yeah. So being alone, it wasn't that I didn't like myself. It was just this idea of I didn't have anyone. It was just this lonely feeling. I just felt lonely. I guess there is an element of it that I felt like somebody didn't want to be with me. Oh, you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's this element of, gosh, I'm alone because somebody chose not to be with me. Right. You know, where. It's a rejection. Yeah. Felt like you felt rejected. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to ask you this weird question. That's a good question. When you felt that, oh, someone doesn't want to be with me and you feel rejected, where do you feel that in your body? Oh, just straight in my heart. That was violent. (laughs) Because it feels violent. And oddly, can I bring up something that's a little bit off topic? I had my 20-year reunion just barely. And I have not, I mean, for years, I've just been totally fine. Everything's good. I suddenly have this 20-year reunion. And I'm getting ready for it, curling my hair. And my sweet husband, my now husband, he was going to stay home. He was not interested in going to the dairy. My husband would never go to <laughs> Which is fine. Differentiation is good. Yes. yes. So it was fine. So me and my girlfriends were going together. And I was sitting there curling my hair. And it like hit me so hard. And I just sobbed. I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed that I've been divorced. And I'm going to this 20 year. And I've never, ever, not once felt embarrassed by the divorce until this moment. Getting ready. And it was very, this strong 
just overwhelming emotion of like, and everyone's going to think I can't keep a man. Like, I'm this awful wife. I got a divorce and now my husband doesn't want to come with me. A reunion! And I oh felt it so God. strongly and cried to Taylor. And he was like, baby, like, I will definitely come. But at that point, I'd already, like, uninvited all my friends' husbands. Because they were coming with me. <laughs> it was an interesting thing that I must have shoved down this emotion of just that rejection and feeling like it was on me, you know? So that's kind of an interesting side note. But after the divorce, it's interesting because I didn't acknowledge that that's where it was coming from, I suppose. I just knew that I didn't like to be alone. There was just nobody to laugh with. Like, you can't sit on the grass and laugh to yourself. You look crazy. People will bite jack at you. <laughs> and you are a person that just, that is you. That is, is laughing. And it's like how I determine if I'm having a good time or not. You know, yeah. like it's based solely on how much I laugh. <laughs> That was a 90% activity. That was a really good one. That one was a 20% activity. That's why we get along so well. That's why you want to hang out with me because we're like 90%. That's exactly what it is. Oh my gosh. And I seriously tell my kids all the time, like, it doesn't matter what you're doing because me and you could be like, out, you'd be like, hey, Kara, I need some help with this project. And we're out like shoveling manure and we'd be giggling and it would be like, I had so much fun. Yeah. Or I could be at Disneyland and be with somebody and they're Debbie Downer and it's not fun. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter where you are. I am a Debbie Downer. (laughs) Disneyland's a rough one. (laughs) Disneyland. Disneyland's one of those funny things where it's like, I actually use this analogy all the time in life. You take your kids to Disneyland Uh and it's hot. It's so hot. You're sweating. You're standing in lines. Everything's expensive. And it's just kind of this chore. It's kind of hard. And you're expected to have fun. It's supposed to be the magical place. Yes. But why am I not feeling the magic? But then you get back to your hotel or back home, let's say, after your trip, and you're scrolling through your pictures. (laughs) And you're like, That was the best time of my life. It was so fun. Like how happy everyone was. And you kind of remember it based off of these pictures, these moments. What's it called? The supercut. You know, basing off of these supercut pictures of like, yes, there were magical moments. And there was a lot of crap and a lot of really hard moments where the kids were hungry. They were tired. You were sweaty. We got a sunburn. Yeah. Whatever. And it's so funny. I just feel like life is so much that way. It's like most of it is this hard, drudge, mundane thing <laughs> that you're like going through. But there are these super cuts and we just kind of focus on those. So let's see, where were we? Well, we talked about the reunion yes. and that you ended up going. Oh, there, how okay. I would have to go by myself after the divorce. Yes. And it just felt like this really alone. Yeah. It felt really lonely. You didn't have anyone to laugh with. I didn't. I didn't have anyone to laugh with. And I had to learn as somebody that got married very young and went from parents' house straight into marriage, I was having to learn this life lesson of learning to be okay being alone and that I don't need somebody else. Somebody else is a bonus and it's fun, but I don't need it and to be okay. That loneliness was a part of what was making me feel like I was drowning. That's where it all came. (laughs) Okay. So you felt lonely. Because you just didn't have someone there. But did you also feel lonely because did you feel judgment from anybody because of your divorce? And did that make you feel like you were disconnected from family, friend, neighborhood? Because sometimes like we're lonely because we're not connecting with people, but we're not connecting with people because we fear what they're thinking about. That is 100% true. Yes. And I very much felt like I didn't fit in with the club to go off of like this analogy. 
the club that I was in, this married club. And uh-huh. suddenly I was an outsider in this married club and I felt it was a really hard place to be. And I didn't know very many people outside of that married club. So even like right after my divorce, there was like a neighborhood activity where they did like dance class. And so it was like all of my friends, it was actually a church activity. They went to this church activity and were doing dance lessons. And I missed out on this night because I didn't have a dance partner, you know, where I could have just called one of my girlfriends that had a husband that wouldn't want to go and been like, hey, let's just let's go together. Because we guarantee that there's a husband that, oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> but instead, I allowed it to be this, oh, I am not invited to this thing. And I kind of shunned myself from it. But it was really, really hurtful at the time. Yeah. It was something that really was hard to watch all of my friends go do this and then see all the posts on it after and stuff. It's an interesting space to be where you feel like you are outsed from this club that was very much a part of your identity. So how long did this last? You got divorced. I don't know what year was it. January of 2018. So you're drowning. I guess I'm just curious. How long was that process of drowning until you got like, oh, I'm really good at being Oh, God. (laughs) That was a long time. It was longer than I wanted it to be. As somebody that's very, like, hyperactive and, like, ADD, I was, like, ready to be over it. I was like, let's move on with our lives. And that's my way of handling trauma, too. I know it, it varies from person to person, but I kept myself very, very busy. And my therapist kept saying, it's going to hit you if you don't allow yourself the time to process it. Yeah. And he kept telling me, like, you have to let yourself fill it. But I didn't know how to allow it. Like, I was just constantly busy. Like, I felt it. I cried all the time. All I knew is I could either sit in my home and be miserable and cry, or I can still feel, like, intense anxiety and pain, but be doing something and distracting it a little bit. <laughs> That's interesting because then would you say that you were distracting it or were you saying no. like, well, it sounds like you are feeling it. You're yeah. allowing yourself to cry. And I always say like for people with, that have anxiety, I say, hey, you have anxiety, put it in your pocket and do your feet. You're going to take your anxiety with you. You're going to take your... Now, sometimes we do need to sit in our sadness and be like, okay, I'm having a home day today. I'm taking a mental health day. But then other times you can be sad and be like, I'm sad. And then for you, hey, we're going to go, if I remember right, help the homeless yeah like you are doing so much that's exactly what I was gonna say is that I would allow myself these moments when I was feeling it extra heavy and it was an extra hard day and I would let it wash over me I would just be like okay I'm feeling this and I'm gonna allow myself to feel that this is a very real experience and I need to allow myself to let it just wash over me and completely engulf me today and I did and I would do that and then I would say okay or I would allow it a certain amount of time if I didn't want it to be the whole day. I would allow some time for it. And then at this time, I'm going to pick myself up and we're going to go. Because something that I had to realize that was really helpful to me is I tried to look at it as this is a very human experience. Divorce and heartbreak is a very human experience. And it's something that I'm able now, having gone through it, I'm able to empathize and sympathize on a whole other level with these women that have been through it. And I don't think you can ever truly understand the pain, the anxiety, the vulnerability that comes along with it unless you've been through it. It's, yeah, so I I was able to look at it like, man, now I'm able to see 
things from this perspective that I've never been able to. And I really tried to take on this idea of the divorce allowed me an opportunity to live two lives. I was able to live this get married young, have babies young, Mormon life. And I loved that life. And it was great for that time. And then things shifted, things changed. And now I'm living this also amazing, wonderful life that is nothing like that life. Oh, wow. So it's like I've had this unique opportunity to live two lives is the way that I, I see it. Okay. Did you ever watch the show Sliding Doors? No. With Gwyneth Paltrow? No. Okay. Did you read the book Midnight Library? No, I'm going to have to. <laughs> okay. Both of those, the show and the book, they kind of give you alternative choices for your life. Like the sliding door is like, oh, if you go through this, oh, you yeah. have this, yes. this door, you'll have this other life. And then Midnight Library. Oh, if you have not read Midnight Library, it's so good. Okay, I'm gonna so read. good. But you get this. She got to see... I don't want to ruin it. She got to see different options of what life she could have lived. Yes. Yeah. And some people just really get that. Yeah. <laughs> like, you got it. Yeah. It was a lot of therapy and a lot of work, <laughs> a lot of like meditation. But I did learn that in having extreme anxiety, the only way to get rid of that and to help it was for me to do the thing that was causing me anxiety. Oh, that's so good. So it was like, I could sit with it all day long and like stay home because I was having so much anxiety and the anxiety would stay. But until I did what I needed to do or did the thing that was causing me anxiety, like looking for a job, starting to get the ball rolling on that, that's what helped me get over it and get better. And I got to the point where I was like, okay, there was still space in my life for all of my married friends. But I now needed to join the club of the single friends. So I reached out to anyone that I knew that was single. And that's actually how I reached out to my now husband. I messaged him and I just was like, hey, I don't know if you've heard. I'm going through a divorce and I'm looking for single friends. And I, it wasn't to start dating him. I wasn't ready to like start that whole process yet. But it was like, I can start making friends. He'll have friends that are single and I'll start mingling with this crew and I can go on hikes and do things with people that are also single. Right. And there's Facebook groups. That, like, yeah. I don't know, if, like at least in St. George, there's a whole group of singles that get together all the time. Totally. Fun Which is so cool. That is a very real feeling that it's hard to explain other than you just want people that are in your club. It's that relate, you can relate to them. And people that are single versus like my married friends were a lot more spontaneous oh yeah so I was able to do that you know and I'm very I'm like in the moment like right now I want to go for a hike are you in or are you out <laughs> yes <laughs> but yeah so I just wanted to make sure that I addressed that that it was yes you have to allow space for the morning but you also have to allow space for the healing you have to make sure you are allowing space for both things to happen and not wallowing in in just the pain of it and not viewing yourself as a victim, I think, is the biggest thing. And, and that kind of comes. Yeah, I want to know, like, how do you not view yourself as a victim when you feel rejected? Yeah. The thought is, like, I'm rejected at this point. Yes, yes. That's really a good question. I think just for me, minimizing it, which is my, like, <laughs> that's like my go-to for any sort of love. Uh, but in, in all seriousness, I just was able to recognize that there are so many people with it so much worse. And that's where the service came in, right? So it's like, yes, right now, my whole life has been flipped upside down. And mind you, in the process, I found a massive tumor in my right breast. And so it, I found it, gosh, I want to say it was three months after finding out I was going through the divorce. 
So three months later, I find this massive tumor in my right breast and had to get a mastectomy. God, about that. I completely forgot about that. So it was like everything was just, so I was dealing with, I may have breast cancer. So I move into my mom's house. I needed to be close to family that could take care of me. Oddly enough, the tumor wasn't showing up on mammography or ultrasound. You could fill it, but it, you couldn't see it, which is very That's abnormal. Scary, yeah, right? Like crazy. Why? Yeah. So they did the surgery to remove it, tested it right there to make sure it was benign. It was, thank the high heavens. But I didn't know until after the surgery. So it's like I'm having this surgery, and I may have breast cancer, may need to go through chemo, may need. There was just a lot of unknown. So I moved into my mom's house closer to my sister so I'd have people to take care of me. And another like thing of being alone is like nothing makes you feel alone like having a massive surgery and nobody to take care of you. (laughs) Plus my girlfriends, they would like take turns. They had a whole schedule and my mom and sister, they had a whole schedule written out. They would take turns coming to my house, washing me. They had to get me in the shower, wash my hair. Anyone that's had the surgery, because I also had reconstructive surgery right after. So anyone that's had those, you know you can't lift your arms. I couldn't wash my own hair. I couldn't. Plus, I have complications on top of it because of my blood clotting disease. So it was like I was having to have shots three times a day again. It, so it was just gnarly. It was. Oh, my it was God. I don't know how I got off on that tangent where I was going with that. But, but it sounds like one of the things that you did was to be like, I can't do this alone. Like, yes. I had my husband here. He'd probably he be a banking or be, oh, mostly yeah. be here for the most mm-hmm. part. And I'd have a little bit of help, but I have no one here right now, mm-hmm. so I have to relax. Plus, you're like that, too. You would have done the same thing for everyone else. But So you put yourself in a situation, called on your resources, because some people will be like, I don't want to ask for help. Yeah. So was that humbling? Was that hard to ask for help? Or were you like, no, I got my people. Like, what was that like? It was really hard. It's very humbling, very hard, and you feel like you're putting people out. But the thing that I've learned through all of this is anyone that came and helped me, my relationship with them has grown. The bond grows. It's a very bonding experience. And to deny people that opportunity to help you is denying that closeness. I very much learned and realized that I had to turn to people and allow space for people to help me. And in doing that, I wanted to turn around and help other people, knowing that I had to use so many people and I had to use the village, you know? I really had to use the village to help me, my family, my friends. And in doing so, it really opened my eyes to all of the women out there that don't have that. And had I not had that, I probably would have drowned. In getting back on my feet, I have very much wanted to turn around and pay it forward to those women that don't have that help, the family ties, the friends, or even just recognizing that I was born into generational wealth where I do have family that can help me financially. I was able to move into my mom's house. If you don't have that generational wealth, where do you turn to? Right. So recognizing that being born into that privilege, that I can turn around and help other people that weren't. Wow. You know? Yeah. So I've tried really hard Like, to... and you're saying, like, my parents had a home for me to come exactly. to. Exactly. They had cars to help the yep. kids get to and from places. I, my parents gave, well, I bought one of my parents' cars for cheap that I was able to have. And I was able to live there. And if they didn't have the wealth, they wouldn't have had an extra space or the ability to give me a home. Right. So, yeah, I, I very much owe a lot of my success to my parents for sure and their hard work and their generosity. 
So you're receiving all this help from your friends, your family. You yeah. are diagnosed, but then it came out benign. Thank heavens. Yeah. And I just, in the thick of all of it, I just kept having the thought of I can either be the victim of all of this or I can take control and recognize that I'm, I'm the master of my own ship and that I can, yes, things happen out of my control. Yes, things were unfair. Yes, things didn't go the way I had planned. And I think I mentioned earlier having that blank slate in front of me of not knowing what was going to happen or where my life was going to go or how I was going to take care of everyone and do everything. It, it was really hard to look at that and to see that at first. And I really had to change my perspective and reframe the way I was looking at it and to change it into this is an exciting opportunity. And I didn't feel that. I did not feel that in my soul. I had to really work hard at reframing the way I was looking at it and to say, this is a new page and I can go whichever way I want and I can take control of my life and figure that out. And as I started looking for jobs, I learned really quickly that having no work experience for 14 years and an associate's degree, I wasn't really able to get the jobs that I was wanting. So I really had to sit back and think, okay, and I had a three-year-old at home. So it was like getting a full-time job, I would have to find a nanny or daycare somewhere for my son to go. And it just kind of became clear to me at that moment that the best thing I could do for myself and my family was to go back to school, get my foot in the door, get back into the motion of like using my brain, you know, because you use such different skills as a mom. It's very much a skill and very much a hard job to do but it's very different than reading books and taking tests. So I had to get back into that mentality of, okay, I need to be able to like sit for hours at a time. Whereas as a mom, I'm just like the go, 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 go constant all the time, you know? So I remember my first class was three hours and I was so jittery and I had to get up and I was like, how do people sit for three hours? <laughs> and then by the end of my school career, I was like on hour six in class and I was like chilling. Fine. <laughs> It's just getting used to the new norm and, you know, recognizing like humans, if we're good at anything, it's adapting. Yes. That's Ooh, how that's our species, so that, right? Our species has lasted this long because we are masters at adaptation. So learn, just realizing that a lot of my hardship was coming from a place of habit instead of this is what I want. It's just my body is just like, whoa, our patterns thrown off. Your habits are getting messed up. You know, the things that you're used, your routine is getting messed up. It was probably really uncomfortable. There's no way I could sit for three hours. There's no way I could do that within three mm -hmm. years. But you're saying I'm going to get used to being uncomfortable exactly. for a little while. And then it got comfortable. Exactly. Pushing ourselves to do things that make us uncomfortable is the best thing we can do. Well, even like reaching out to the single, I bet that was scary. It was scary. Hello, I need friends. Yeah. I yeah. So talking about clubs, that's what I say. Like when you are in a club, we could fight against reality and say, oh, I wish this wasn't my reality. Like when yeah. you're saying like, I didn't do this to myself. Yeah. I'm not the one that would have chosen this life or just accepting yeah. it, embracing it and saying, yes. okay, now I'm entering into this club. Embrace it. Love it. And I have this friend that she just recently went through divorce and she's so cute. She like started a singles club and was just like, hey, I want people to hang out with. I want friends to do things with. I'm not necessarily looking to date. And she has this whole, not following, but like her whole group now that they all came together. And it's really cool to see. They all have similar interests and they go on hikes and do things together and travel. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's really, really cool. So going to school, terrifying, 
scary to be the old woman on campus. <laughs> You're 30, what were you, 35? 35 now, yeah. Wow. 35. So going back on campus and it's such a different experience than when you're 18, 17, 19, whatever. I loved it. I cannot sing it enough praise. Every time I was driving to school, I just felt like this bird that was just soaring. For me, it was something I was doing on my own and for me and my family. And it was my time. I loved my degree. I loved, I loved the books I was reading, everything I was learning, and I just was absorbing it all. And I just loved it. The what energy, was your degree? What? Communication. Huh? That is a perfect one. I know. I love it. I loved it. It's really cool to go on campus, too, because you're with all of these young people that are just so excited about life. You know, it's this really inspiring place to be. Everyone, like, has these dreams and ambitions and goals, and they're just working their butt off to hit it. So you feed off of that energy and you feel that vibe. And I would just go on campus on the days that I didn't have the kids and I would go and read my books on campus because I loved being on, around the energy. And like I said, I had a harder time with the loneliness. Yeah. So I loved being around people. So I would go there, go to coffee shops, do my studying there. Ah. And I just would make it a point to go to places when I was feeling that loneliness and be around people. And well, you're still I, alone, but there's just people surrounding you. Yeah. Yeah. And I just fed off of that. And something else that I really worked on is I was living in Harriman when I was married. And then seven months after I moved into my mom's house in Taylorsville. And I was like, okay, where am I going to live? What am I going to do? Still in that unknown stage of life. And I was talking to my therapist and I knew that I really loved the like holiday Murray Cottonwood area. I loved it. Yeah. So he was like, okay, start working out at the gym right there. Start grocery shopping around there. Start and like manifesting it. And I did. And I started going to the gym there. My therapy sessions were right there. That's how I like, fell in love with it. I put my kids in the school. I had to drive 20 minutes to and from. And they went to three different schools. And I would have to take them to their schools. And my daughter was in volleyball. And their dad at the time moved to London. So I was like full single mom in it. And oh gosh. driving 20 minutes. And everyone was like, man, what are you doing? Why are you doing that to yourself? I was driving two hours a day to get them where they needed to go. And I manifested it, though. I live now. The kids started going to school there. I eventually bought a house right by their schools. Or rented. I didn't buy it. I rented a house right by their schools. Then they were able to walk to school. And I lived in the area I really wanted to live in. So for seven yeah. months, you were doing the hard thing. Mm -hmm. Well, I love that the therapist yeah. said that. Like, if you yeah. want to be somewhere, then start putting yourself in those places. Yes. And he's like, that's how you'll meet people. Yes. And, yeah. then, and that opens up. I mean, that is connections. Mm -hmm. So then that opens up. So then you found a house, you rented yep. it. And so then you ended up moving there. Yeah. Now your kids could walk to school. So now it wasn't hard anymore. Yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. And it saved me. I did drive zero hours to take them to school. <laughs> so it balanced out, right? But yeah, and now me and my current husband bought a house in Murray. And it's like right in this where I like had all these visions, not visions, but just like ideas, all of these ideas of where I wanted to be, uh, you know? It was, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, talk it's, about manifesting vision boards or you were just vision exactly. board in your head. Yes. Like, and what? I love vision boards. We oh. and my family, we really do. We do our vision boards every new year of what we want to accomplish. <laughs> uh, they're important. They are. Even people in sports or whatever, they have to visualize the goal or the basket before you do it. Oh, absolutely. So, 
So you're visualizing. So yeah, maybe not visions, but visualize yeah, exactly. where you're going to live, where you want your life to be. And here you are. Yeah. And just really allow yourself to believe that you deserve it. Regardless of if you're religious or not, think whatever. If you believe in God, then think you're God. If you believe in energy, then think the universe, you know, for the things that you have and the experiences you are experiencing and how they can help you to learn, even though they're crappy and they're hard and you would never have picked it for yourself. Like I was saying earlier, being able to recognize that by going through all of those hard things, it allows me this ability to relate to so many people. I mean, 50% of the world, right? Right. I've been through this experience. So recognizing that I can really relate with people on a whole other level when they're suffering is an incredible gift. It is a gift. Yeah. And you yeah. wouldn't think it's a gift. No. And I, and I would never have picked it for myself and, you know, all those things. But like now... Would you pick it? it? That's such an interesting question. I actually get asked that a lot. People ask me quite a bit if I'm glad that I got a divorce. And it's a really complex answer based on multiple things. But I was very much in love with my husband at the time. And I'm so grateful for that life with him and those opportunities that I had with him. And simultaneously, I've, I am so grateful for the life I have now. I'm so in love with my husband, Taylor, and I'm so in love with my life now. I'm grateful for the knowledge and the growth that I had through it. It was hard on my kids. It was really hard to go through. And I don't want to disrespect my ex-husband and say, yes, of course, I'm so glad because right. in that life, I didn't feel that way. You know, right. but I also don't want to disrespect my husband now, Taylor, in saying, no, I would never wish it because I love my life now. So it is. It's a really tricky That's question. A, and to I answer. think that dichotomy is important to bring up. You don't have to choose. You don't have yeah, to say uh, you and to be grateful for the whole yeah. and not have to split it up, yeah. and compare necessarily. Yeah. And I will acknowledge that my situation is unique in the sense that most people, when they get married, it was toxic. Or I mean, when they get a divorce, it's because it was toxic. It was bad. It was a bad situation. They needed to get out. Uh -huh. I don't mean to minimize that at all. So now when people tell me they're divorced, I say, congratulations. Good for you. Because it means that somebody got out of something that wasn't healthy for them. Right. And like applaud that every time. Every time. And it doesn't need to be like this. Oh, I'm so sorry. Good for you. Good. Yeah. Did that. On I'm proud of you. Path. Yeah. And it's really, really, really hard. It's hard to get a divorce. There was this meme going around for a while on Instagram that said something like, choose your hard. Marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. And it was kind of implying like, both are hard, but you try to make it work kind of a thing, mm. you know, which can be true for a lot of relationships. But also it's like, mm. <laughs> yeah, leaving is really hard. But if it's better for you mentally and safety and for your well-being and the well-being of your children, then I applaud you every single time. Right. And you did. You chose your heart. And that was what's better for you and your family. When we were going through the divorce, I got some backlash from some family members in laws. I guess I think I can say that without being specific who it was. And it was really hard because an email was sent to me saying that I was being selfish and that I wasn't thinking of my children. And that's very much of course, it was coming from a place of wanting what was best for me and my children. But man, incredibly damaging to insinuate that a woman leaving a situation that isn't healthy for her is her being selfish. Right. But, but his choices weren't selfish. You know what I mean? Right. Like, interesting. It was really interesting thing. And it's this 
there is very much an underlying tone and in a lot of religions. So I'm not going to say specifically the LDS religion because I don't think that's true. I think it's in a lot of religions. This undertone of you stay and specifically the woman. The woman works it out and the woman stays and the woman is there to guide the husband and to make sure that the family's safe and la la la. What about her? What about her needs and the things she needs, the support she needs, the safety that she needs to feel? The, you know, and it's interesting that I was viewed to some people as being really selfish for leaving a situation that wasn't healthy. You know, yeah. I think that has to do with, I talk about this concept of life is 50-50. We have 50% negative feelings, 50% positive feelings, mm-hmm. right? And you kind of talked, you kind of alluded to that too. And a lot of times we're taught that we shouldn't feel the negative feelings. Yes. And then what we do is when we feel those negative feelings, then we don't want to feel those anymore. And so we do almost everything we can not to feel them. When you're saying, well, what I had to do is feel them and then move in a direction. Well, your family members or the in-laws that were saying these things, they were feeling a negative emotion that they didn't want to feel. Mm-hmm. And instead of feeling it, they're like, we're just going to try to influence her to not do that. Because we don't have these feelings. <laughs> But that's going up against reality and none of their business necessarily. And that's also saying this person doesn't know herself or can't make decisions. They're not trusting you to know your life and what's best for your family. Mm -hmm. They're saying they know better. Mm -hmm. And I'd say we just kind of feel those feelings and allow those and be like, yeah, this is really hard. And be curious about this person who is making that choice instead of judging and saying she's being selfish. I'm going to notice how I feel about her leaving him or making this choice for her family, how am I feeling? I'm having this negative feeling. Okay, now you get your help that you need for that negative feeling. Don't reject it and try to change her or change her situation so that you feel better. Yeah, Because how awesome would that have been? Them to say, Kara, you're being selfish. (laughs) And then you say, you're right. And then you go back and then all is well. Thank you. And then they're happy again. I yeah. got the credit for that because I told her that she's being selfish. Yeah. How many times do you think that works? Yeah, <laughs> never. It pushed everything worse. Yeah. But and, and to kind of play off of what you were saying, isn't it interesting how we societally believe that these feelings of loneliness, sadness, anger, jealousy, whatever we group in as these bad feelings, that we view them as something we shouldn't feel. But really, all of our growth comes from those moments. All of our growth comes from those feelings. And so recognizing that they're not necessarily this negative, horrible thing that you shouldn't be feeling, but to allow yourself to feel it, recognize where it's coming from and try to feel, okay, where can the growth come from this? And I I always try to tell my kids, the meat and potatoes of life are the hardships, the mundane, the drudge of life. That's the meat and potatoes. And the spice and flavor is all of the happy moments. Whereas we think we need to be living in the happy moments all the time, but that's not reality. And that's what causes not chemical, but depression, but situational depression, where it's like, I'm supposed to be happy and I'm supposed to be doing this and la, 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 la. When in reality, that's not. That's moments. Those are peaks. You know, we have to have the peaks and the pitfalls. And that goes back to, that takes us back to Disneyland. Yes, yes. (laughs) You can tell this is like a theme in my life. (laughs) No, and I like to give the analogy of, if I were to ask you, what is wrong with the sky when it's cloudy and rainy and it's pouring on us? What's wrong with the sky? What would you say? I would say that it's on me. (laughs) You would say what? That it's pouring on me and that it's all cloudy. But is there something wrong with the sky? Oh, yeah. No, it just needs to release 
the rain. Yeah. And so when we cry and we have anger, that's a release and we need to get it out. There's nothing wrong with it. Just like there's nothing wrong with the sky when it's stormy and lightning. We accept it. We embrace it. We get outside and we go watch it with our blankets or umbrellas and go splash in the puddles. We yeah. embrace it. In fact, I'll even take it one step further. If you have little kids and your little kid is crying, don't go to that little kid and say, what's wrong? Mm. There's nothing wrong. Oh, I like Say, tell me about this emotion that you're feeling. Oh, I like that. Give me an insight of what is happening inside you because there is nothing wrong. If someone kicked them or if they didn't get their juice cup that was purple, they really feel it. And so say, oh, and normally yeah, validate yeah. and then say, is it helping you to cry right now? If it is good, if it's not, then let's just ask for the purple up. cup. Oh, that's really good. I like that. With it. Yeah. Just, this is an emotion that's coming up and we need to feel it. And then we want to name it, feel it, and then deal with it. There's nothing wrong. So all those emotions that you were feeling, there's nothing wrong with it. And your in-laws, they were feeling this negative emotion and there's nothing wrong with feeling that sadness that you two were getting yeah. divorced. But what they did that wasn't, I don't want to say it's wrong or right, but that wasn't helpful was to have you change your mind about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so maybe instead of trying to change someone, try to just understand their point of view, understand how you could be helpful, understand how you could be loving in that circumstance and not take away from. We need those negative feelings and exactly yeah. that's how we grow. Yeah, not to digress too much, but something too that was hard to navigate as someone that was born and raised LDS, when I was 30, I took a step back from the church due to, I guess I would just say the way that I was viewing things. And I don't mean to minim minimize the incredible heartbreak and hardness that comes in leaving the church because it was incredibly painful, incredibly hard. I wanted to cling to it very much. But in my leaving the church when I was 30 and then when I was 34 going through the divorce, I felt very shameful and very much people attributed the demise of my marriage in leaving the church, which was incredibly not true. And the things that... Did you and your ex-husband leave the church together or was it just you? So it was me initially, but only for a few months. He was also questioning and having a hard time with it, but he just went his own pace. Whereas my personality is like, I'm not one that takes a long time to make a decision. Once I realized that it wasn't for me and wasn't working for what I wanted in my life and the way that I viewed life, I was done. And it was really hard to know that people attributed that to us leaving the church. But the issues that led to the demise of my marriage were long before we left the church. But that's a tricky thing. And I, I'm hoping that somebody out there maybe listening can relate to that or recognize that if you are assuming that leaving the church led to the demise of a marriage, those don't go hand in hand. Just because you leave a religion doesn't mean your marriage will break up. And just because you stay in a religion doesn't necessarily mean that you won't, you know. Right. So I just I don't think those two go hand in hand as much as people want to believe that they do. Maybe to the sense of like you feel like you don't have an outlet. You don't feel like you have the ability to leave. I suppose that could create staying in a marriage longer if you're in a religion that you feel like you couldn't leave a marriage because you are a part of that religion. So how does Mormonism play into this divorce for you? You said that you felt people's judgment about that. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course they're going to get divorced exactly. because they exactly. left the church four years ago. Definitely. And I felt it with, and honestly, any negative thing that happened in my life. It was like people wanted to be like, ah, oh, see, 
That's why you shouldn't have left the church. <laughs> Where it was really just them creating their own confirmation bias. Like it just felt good to them to like, oh, I'm in, so I'm safe. That yeah. won't happen to me. We as humans do it all the time in all of these little things that you probably don't even notice. If you see an Amber Alert come out, you feel better when you read it if it says it was a family member that kidnapped the baby because that's not your situation. Right. And it's not your situation. Oh, my word. So you're like, oh, it was an estranged uncle. It was a dad. That baby's still in harm's way, but it's not relatable to us, so it feels better. When it's a complete stranger that comes and kidnaps the baby, it's terrifying because yes. the like that could happen to you. Yes. So I think subconsciously people in the church try to say, oh, I'm safe from the pain and the sorrow that you're going through right now because I'm still a member. Like you're out. Yeah. You know? Oh, my gosh. The idea that if you leave the church, then any trials or struggles that you have in your life is because God is telling you that you need to get back in. But if you're in the church and you have struggles and trials, it's just a test and you got to yeah. be faithful and strong and then yeah. you'll overcome it. And I guess my philosophy is life is 50-50. We have negative and positive. Yeah. And regardless, if you're in or out, you're going to have hard times. And so don't always attribute it to being God or being good or yeah. not good because that's not a thing. You're, you can still be the same person and your beliefs have changed, right? Yeah. You're still like this really good person, even though you're not... Taking the sacrament weekly. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, the trials and tribulations of life is just the name of the game. Nobody gets away with it. It's just part of what it is. And somebody said to me something the other day of temptation. Somebody used the word temptation. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. I haven't really, I mean, I've been out eight years now. So some of these things I kind of forget about. You really did think of things as a temptation, but now I just recognize that it's I'm fully human. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm accountable for myself. And there's nothing trying to like trick me. It's me making decisions and me recognizing where I'm human and I'm flawed and recognizing, okay, I can have self-control. Right. Or whatever, you know, depending on what you're talking about. But and that's not to take away from anyone that's full believing listening. Like that's a very beautiful thing if that works for you and makes you happy. But just in the sense of recognizing that we do have accountability and we get to choose. It's not trickery. What would you say, thinking of your parents and your support system that you had in going through this whole divorce situation? If I have a friend who is going through a divorce situation, what would be my role in helping that person? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, just with everything, it, it varies person to person. But I would say for me now, seeing somebody going through it, offering help with kids okay. is huge. Offering help with helping them find a job, just getting that ball rolling. That's the hardest part, right? Anytime you're like trying to get momentum like you do, you need help. You need people pushing it and then it gets momentum and it's easier. I think just for somebody that's looking to be able to help somebody freezer mills are helpful, oh, you know, just all these little things that are just the hard things to stay on top of. Something that I try to help people with is that there is governmental help for people in these situations and recognizing how to utilize that, I think, is a huge help. With me going to school, I was able to get scholarships, which was a game changer. Incredibly wow. helpful. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So how do you go about applying for that? Or who did you talk to to learn about I that? went into the school and talked to people and they were able to lead me into the right direction. And sometimes people may be dismissive or not know, and that's not a sign for you to not do it. 
it's continually being your own advocate and pushing for your own for your own life that you want and to really put yourself out there and recognizing that in each time that you're doing it, you're gaining information, you're gaining confidence, momentum, and you're building off of that instead of viewing it as, oh, this is too hard. Oh, this, I failed at this. No, now you have more information to go and do it better. Or now you have more information to do something different and recognizing that it is actually building the momentum instead of viewing it as slowing you down. Wow. I love that so much. Were there any books? Oh, yes. I'm so glad you asked this. Because just today I was thinking, I got to remember to mention this because it was a game changer for me. And I will say with the caveat of I had never read a self-help book in my life. Really? So I hadn't. So keep in mind that this is my first exposure to something like it. But I listened on repeat over and over. And in fact, because how I was talking about my 20 year reunion, I've been having a lot of anxiety. And I actually had a situation earlier this week that was ugh, unfortunate, to say the least. And started listening to it again because that's how impactful it is for me. But the book, You Are a Badass. I love that book. I love that I love how she talks. Oh, I love my gosh. About it. Yeah, I will tell you, I had it constantly playing in my car, in my headphones when I was weeding, when I was driving kids, like when I was doing things, when you're able to put headphones in. Yeah. Anytime I would feel that anxiety come up. And I will tell you, I did not sleep multiple nights this week because of some severe anxiety I've been having. And I started listening to it yesterday and today, and it is a game changer for me. What is it about it for you? It's very positive and it, and it helps you take control of your own life. And it helps you view things from a different perspective. Like I've mentioned multiple times, instead of taking the victimhood in a situation, take charge, you know, yeah. and just to view it differently and to recognize how you can grow from that situation or how you can view it differently. And I will say another book that was incredibly helpful, although it's a harder read for sure, but The Untethered Soul. Oh, I love that. That's more... Eastern philosophy, not just accepting what is, radical acceptance, allowing things just to be and observing them. It's so good, mm-hmm. right? So good. Oh, so I'm good. So Both, happy of to hear that. Both of those. Really? And I just listened to it on repeat. And anytime I was feeling like really anxious about life and stuff, I would listen to it and it always helped. And I'm sure that won't be the case for everyone, but I find something that yeah. that you can do that with because yes. therapy's good. Everyone should go to therapy and Absolutely. especially if you're getting divorced, you need help with that transition. Just to have someone I'm assuming to be accountable to, yep. like as far as okay, well, how are you doing? Let's yeah. check in and let's make yeah. sure that you're focusing on yourself. But then if you could have that therapist in your ear all week, that's fantastic. But instead, not that they're therapists, but their concepts are healthy and good. I'm just going to say this. If someone doesn't love you, that's not because you're not unlovable. That's because they don't have the capability of you. Yes. A lot of times we run into people and gosh, we're just not clicking for whatever. That's okay. That's okay. If you find yourself in a position where you think, oh, they're not treating me right because I'm unlovable, you've got to change your thinking about that. You are lovable. They are not capable of loving you or loving you in the way that you need to be loved. Go find someone who can love you the way that you need to be loved. Yeah, definitely. And recognizing too that I think for me, I've for a really long time in my life believed that there's one soulmate. And recognizing that humans, we crave and we are made for connection. And it is deeply rooted in us to have connection. And there are many opportunities for connection. And knowing that you're walking around with 
billions of people that also are craving connection. You're going to find people that you'll connect with and that will respect you and love you and cherish you. Oh, good. But also maybe just fun, a couple little things that I'm just going to say. What's your favorite food? My favorite food genuinely is salad. I love like a good hearty salad. With but just... she's vegetarian, <laughs> so it doesn't have meat. Yeah, just tons of veggies, ranch. It's all about the ranch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what is your worst chore that you hate to do? Oh my gosh, probably laundry. I'm really bad at it. Wait, would you rather clean a toilet than Yeah, change? I don't know. Like, I know it sounds silly, but I'm really, really bad at laundry. You just shove it in a machine and like, put, how, how are you? I don't know. Well, is there anything else that you would add to what we've been talking about or anything we've kind of... Man, I will just say divorce is really, really hard. And I'm proud of you for anyone that can relate to that and is going through that step. It's really scary. It's really hard. And it is worth it. And putting yourself and your happiness and your children's happiness is important. And that's not to say that you don't give up easily like working through a marriage that's very respectable as well but there are times and circumstances when that's not an option and recognizing that you aren't flawed for that and that you aren't weak for that and you aren't giving up because of that recognizing that it's sometimes the right decision to make I applaud you for that because it's really really hard and people want to minimize and lead you to believe that it's easier to leave than it is to stay and that's that's not always the case I just want to mention this because I think this is really important. Kara has done a really good job at being respectful in the midst of all of this. Your kids are half the other spouse. So when you criticize or hold contempt for your spouse who you're divorced from, your kids are half of that and they know that and that hurts them. And that's, I think, somewhat abusive to your kids to hear you talking poorly about the other spouse. And I have never heard that from you. I feel like you're always trying to build him up and encourage them to have a really good relationship with them and doing anything that you can so that they will. And I think that also makes the after divorce positive. Well, during the divorce and after the divorce, right? It's already super hard. But then if you can keep that relationship going is really important. So I commend you for being super positive. Thank you. Hopefully you can relate in some way. Yeah. Maybe you have a family member or a friend or someone that has gone through a divorce and where you will have that friend and then you can be a better friend and maybe understand it better. And Kara will talk to you soon. Later. Thank you for joining me today on You Might Relate. I hope this topic brought understanding and insight. And if you can relate to something in today's episode, subscribe and leave a review. I would love, love, love to hear your thoughts. Also, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at You Might Relate Podcast. And be sure to share this episode with your friends. The more understanding we create, the better we are as humans. You are in charge of your day, so go make it a good one. Catch you next time. <laughs>